This week on the Top Rope Podcast, we have Australian rugby journalist Christy Doran on as we discuss all things Australia and Eddie Jones. We focus on the rugby championship as Australia lost all three games as they now head to Dunedin, East New Zealand. We discuss Eddie Jones trying a young new generation of players and we also look ahead to the World Cup. Yeah, Telf, we do. We chat all things World Cup as well. What does success look like for Australia in this World Cup? Will they even make it out of their group? And is it written in the stars for them to take back the just um, the loss of 2007 against England in Marseille and to reclaim that win? Hello, welcome back to Top Row Podcast. Please announce the Asian man back in studios. Zach Hutchison, how are you? I'm doing well, Telf. It's a bit early in the morning here, so I've got my coffee. Kind of wake up, so probably about five ten minutes into the pod, you'll you'll hear me cracking <laughs> with, with all sorts. But until then, I'm just gonna sip my coffee. It's good to be on. Yeah, now the reason we're up nice and early is because we're trying to balance these time zones. Because we've got Australian rugby journalist Christy on. How are you? Yeah, good to join you. I've just actually had my uh, third or fourth coffee for the day. I'm not quite sure what it is, but I've literally just served a couple of sips myself. So we'll uh, we'll manage to get through it all right, boys. Nice, nice. Christy, before we continue, I must ask, um, obviously our listeners won't be able to see us on the pod, but you've got a cricket um, jumper on. Am I correct in saying that? It yeah, looks, yeah, looks yeah. like it anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a cricket or a, or a tennis sweater, whichever way you want to. Okay, fair enough. I just, I suppose, just you know, we're recording this the day after the final final day, of the Ashes. Kind of just briefly, I know this is a rugby podcast, but briefly, your thoughts on the cricket? Oh, how good is it? I, I just love it when Australia go up and play England up in the Ashes up there because every time, pretty much any every time that. It, England ever come down south it's generally 4-0 or 5-0 yeah. so it's it's just more than anything it, it just makes you realize how precious test cricket is you, you, like we know that there's so much of the the short ver- versions of the game but uh, yeah what we've witnessed over the last six weeks has been phenomenal it's in growth everyone down down in Australia but uh, it's brilliant to see that the packed houses and the competitiveness there has been controversy right the way through and how good! It's just the shame that it's finished up, and it'll be another four years before Charlie's back there. I know, I know. We were actually um at the the Heavenly Test in day one, and just had a great time. It just yeah, I've absolutely loved it. Although I'm kind of like I just don't know what to do now. <laughs> I just need to get need to get excited for the Rugby World Cup. <laughs> I suppose. Seriously, yeah, yeah. Well, look, no, no Wimbledon, no, 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 no Ashes. Uh, Bledisloe's gone for another year from a Wallabies perspective. But how good, like there's there's some great sport to look forward to over the coming months. And yeah. Certainly whilst we're here today is because of rugby. No, definitely. And you mentioned then about just like how people in Australia have just fallen in love with the ashes almost all over again. And, and it's just been such a great series. But what about rugby union? Because I can imagine that might be a bit different, you know, losing to New Zealand, South Africa, almost what seems to be from a Northern Hemisphere perspective, a really underwhelming performance for the Wallabies. There was this sense of actually, you know what, we could, or sorry, Australia could almost um, cause an upset. There was even some chat about them going quite far in the World Cup, you know, given their draw and things like that. 
But kind of reflecting now, I know you've got one more game in the Bledisloe against um, New Zealand, but reflecting now, like what's kind of the mood in Australia? What's the kind of thoughts and going forward? Oh, look, I think there's been a, there was a fair amount of optimism swimming around uh, for the first six months of the year, but what a honeymoon period you've got when you don't have to have to play a test match for a long, <laughs> long time. Uh, look, I, I still think that, those that follow the game and understand the the draw that the Wallabies have, I think most people understand that that they're still a strong, like they should still top their their pool. Let's be honest, Wales are in a bit of a schmozzle at the moment. It'll be interesting to see how they come when they've got these kind of uh, summer matches in preparation for for the World Cup. But and I see starting to find their feet, but haven't quite been there for the last couple of years. And if you look at it, it's actually Australia is ranked eighth in the world. Wales 9, BG 10, uh, Georgia 11, and the Wallabies are going to be playing all three of them. So it's a dream run into the quarters where they likely come up against an England, Argentina or Japan. And then all of a sudden you, you're you a half a decent game away from making a semi-final. So I wouldn't be ruling the Wallabies out of making the top four as, as, as ridiculous as it sounds when you consider that the Wallabies have only won 15, uh, sorry, five of the last 20 matches they've, they've won, which is just an extraordinarily wow. low number. And it, it was because of that that Rugby Australia thought, you know what, we've got to pounce on Eddie Jones. We were hoping to bring him back for 24. We're going to speed this up a year. Has ha, ha, have has Australia and the Wallabies met the expectation of the Australian public yet? No, zero from three. But let's put this into a bit of perspective. They've taken on South Africa and Pretoria, where Australia has never won before, and then they've had to come back less than a week later to take on Argentina, a tough team, a side that last year obviously beat New Zealand, uh, beat Australia by record margin, beat England at Twickenham. So not a side that you can just roll over and go, you know what, whatever. Uh, and then the All Blacks in Melbourne where half of the 83,000, if not more, would have been New Zealand fans. And I was down there at the MCG. It was a great spectacle and it was a competitive game for the first 55 minutes. But as we both know and all three of us know, rugby's not just played over eight, uh, over, over 35, 50 minutes. It's yeah. an 80-minute game. He, he loves England cricket and he's an Irishman. But anyway, <laughs> he, he loved that. It was at such a big arena at the MCG and it, it's going to be bouncing and stuff. The atmosphere maybe was a wee bit different with a lot of New Zealand fans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if you had have seen last year at Marvel Stadium, which is across the road, it's it's only a few kilometres away. And and it was a, it was it was sold out, uh, a big crowd there, indoor stadium. And... That was even probably more, there probably would have been more, like maybe a 65 35 split between Kiwis and Aussies there. So the, okay. the, the, the New Zealand public very much get a, get around a game in Australia, particularly in like a Brisbane or, or Melbourne. Um, but it was a great, great spectacle down there. It wouldn't surprise me if Melbourne ended up nabbing the World Cup final in 2027. It was a great showing and it's, it's so close to the city. It's just a stone's mm. throw away where there's pubs everywhere. You walk across, it's beautiful. Um, it was a lovely atmosphere there. And and those that had concerns around, would you be too far away from, because it's not a rectangular arena, obviously, those might have had, people might have had concerns about, are you too far? Can you, can you see what's going on the other side? Uh, I think those fears were put to bed. Mm, it really is. I think the MCG is just such an incredible 
um sporting arena you know one of my bucket lists is actually to go see the boxing day test ashes test um one day <laughs> one day when you can earn enough money to get down under but in terms of i suppose um going forward from this um obviously eddie jones tried to kind of bleed in some kind of younger talent into the into the wallabies kind of even starting 15 never mind the squad who do you, who kind of stood out for you in in this kind of disappointing series but nonetheless kind of like you said you know you have a good draw so like you still have to keep the keep the confidence going forward who stood out for you in that team i look look the person that stood out to me for the last couple of years and and you may have already seen him because he's played 20 odd tests but he's a 22 year old and because he's played less than three games this year because of injury uh, has come back from a second successive foot injury which saw him miss virtually the entire of last year's international season, but he's just come back. Angus Bell, the loose head prop, 22-year-old, mm. six-foot-three. He is an absolute juggernaut. And oh, Look, is it, for a 22-year-old to carry the ball the way he did, he's a, he's a reasonable scrummer. He will get better. Uh, he's a guy that I can just see that come 2027 will be the world's best loose head. Oh, he, is, he is phenomenal. Um, and as we all know, international matches they're one of that type five generally speaking so that that's the person the great shining light you know it's really unfortunate that alan alatol has just gone down with an achilles injury that's a huge setback because uh, tight heads they're paid the big dollars over in france and up front um or in europe and right across europe and we're now lost and i say we but australia is now lost one of its two real aces in that position taniela tupo is battling a bit of a rig injury himself and he's just come back from Achilles too so he's down on minutes shorter minutes and then there's a massive drop off in the standard and tight head so you're going to see a few other youngsters come through over the next couple of weeks get potentially opportunities but look we saw, we saw Carter Gordon uh, wore the number 10 jersey uh, another 22 year old just his third test match two, two off the bench in the last month and he's kind of if you had to watch the Super Rugby, you would have been very impressed with his skill set. But he's one Achilles heel at the moment. He's in his picking game, and that was on yeah. on display right through through the test from not only his place kicking, but his general phase kicking. And then in addition, the kick restarts. And his decision not just to go short but, uh, when you're down to 14 men against New Zealand, but also to, to, to stuff it up and... It didn't really even barely went across the halfway line. Uh, I don't think there was a huge amount of wind. It was that was a disastrous kind of moment. Um, but he's a guy who's got a great skill set, good passing game. And there was actually really nice structure with how you play. But if you even if you look at the Wallabies backline on a whole, uh, you've got Tate McDermott was twenty four. You had Jordy Patara, the outside center, is twenty three. Mark Nwanganiduasi, a twenty two year old in the right wing. You had Tom Hooper was. Uh, his second match, he debuted against South Africa less than a month ago. He's a 22-year-old. So there's a lot of youth coming through. The big question is whether or not Eddie Jones is going to bring some of the older guys back who came off the bench, like in Nick Watts and Quade Coopers, who are in their 30s and well and truly yeah. in their 30s, or does he stick with this young emerging group? And does he do what France did in not, uh, 2019 where Fabian Gauti went with you? Anton de Ponce and your Roman Antimax and 
decided to back that younger generation, knowing that they're going to host a World Cup four years later? Or and and does Eddie Jones do a similar sort of thing, knowing that Australia is going to host the World Cup in in two thousand and twenty seven? So a couple of really big decisions to make over the next couple of weeks, and the Wallabies will name the World Cup squad, I think, on August ten potentially August 11, but that's only about 12 days away. Yeah, because that, yeah. that was my question, actually, Christy, just kind of like from hearing you chatting and you mentioned 2027, is there almost a feeling like this is a kind of like a like a France moment for Australia, especially, well, even in two years' time, you know, the Lions are going down under um, and having a three-test series. Is, it, is there that kind of sense within the kind of Australian rugby public that like, this World Cup's more of a almost kind of training ground for our young young guns for 2027? It, it probably depends on who you ask because when you haven't okay. held the Bledisloe Cup for 21 years, people become impatient, don't they? they, they Australia's love backing winners and, and if you're not winning, yeah. it's very quick for people to turn off. Uh, the important thing is, is to what's the vision and then for not just the Wallabies and the coach to say that, but to have the board and the chairman and the CEO to go, yeah, this is actually the, the vision going forward. But the the fact is that because of the the, the lopsided nature of this draw, you've it's almost like at this yeah. point in time there could be an egg in both baskets because uh, clearly if the Wallabies manage to stay injury-free, get a bit of momentum in that, in that pool stage, which is very much possible, then anything could, could happen. So... Yeah, it depends on who you ask, but I certainly think that with the Lions series a couple of years away, that not necessarily throwing 15, 20-year-olds in there is the right, right way forward. But I think if you're, if you're, if you're tossing up guys that are a similar standard, I think you have to urge on, the, on youth here. Yeah, fair. Yeah, you talk about Angus Bell and Carter Gordon, and when you're saying their ages there, they're not, you know, 18, 19-year-olds or just played in the under-20 World Cup there. They're, they're, you know, they've had a few seasons of the belt and they probably are ready to take that next step. And it was interesting how much Eddie has changed his side and it looked like, okay, he's going to go Nick White and Quay Cooper and that he's going to just have kind of a last a last dance and then he's changed it around. Do you think Eddie himself is potentially, that's why a lot of the English public maybe got a bit frustrated with him was because he was so obsessed with four years' time and, You've seen before, he said that he was studying New Zealand for that semi-final and that that's basically what he was doing for the few years before 2019. And I can see it being similar that he's spending so much time potentially focusing on that quarter-final, which may be England. Um, would the Australian public be okay with not throwing games, but maybe the result doesn't matter? He just wants to see everyone. He wants to give everyone a chance. He wants to give every player some minutes and then all that really matters is is the World Cup. Or, or as you say, if they go to Dunedin now and it's another heavy score, is there pressure on Eddie that if he maybe did play a stronger side and build into a World Cup with wins and stuff, that the pressure might be off his back a little bit more? Well, the funny thing is it's probably easier to win a World Cup than it is to win a Bledisloe Cup. Like, it sounds crazy, but <laughs> I, I, up, up until Ireland winning down in New Zealand last year it hadn't been done in, in decades uh, and so the fact of the matter is for the Wallabies to win the Bladders though, you've actually got to win both matches now or, or win one and draw the other 
good luck. Very difficult, particularly against this New Zealand side. So um, that, that's been there for quite a few years under Ian Foster. And then you compare that to what's happened with, with Eddie Jones and, and Australia. It would have been interesting had um, the Wallabies won in South Africa or won in Argentina against Argentina and whether or not he would have selected the side or has it always been his plan? Because, yeah, you're right. Like there is pressure building every with every defeat. It's now... Uh, it's it's you know it's three defeats in a row and, and you know you're zero from three you could be zero or four heading to France in a couple of weeks time and then it could be zero to five when you take on Le Bleu in Paris at the Stade de France uh, I think on August 26th it is so that's hardly a runway from what you want with the World Cup but but I do think that for Eddie at this point in time when you've got five six five matches before the World Cup you've got to um, he, he would have had a, a very strong idea around which players are in the reckoning and what his 23 is. I don't mind the fact that there's been a few different players come in and out. And and to your point around with England and the English public and ultimately the RFU getting fed up with his, his, his uh, fixated mind on the World Cup, I, I've always understood that. And I think I do because the only coach that, England remembers really uh, is is Clive Woodward and why because he won the World Cup in yeah, 2003 the Cup. and and many coaches win the Grand Slam uh, but very few coaches win the World Cup and it's only the ones that win the World Cup that you remember like Eddie Jones wins the Grand Slam in six to 2016 they win the Six Nations as well in 2017 they win the Six Nations in 2020 but you know what they made the World Cup final in, in 2019 and came very very close to winning a World Cup. You forget about, you know, even looking at Ireland, people forget about Joe Schmidt very quickly. Why? Yep. Because he didn't win a World Cup. He didn't make it past a quarterfinal. So they're some of the things that I've always been like, well, hang on a moment. England had a 73% winning record under Eddie Jones. Uh, yes, it was an average couple of years, but he's a guy that's he's tasked with winning a World Cup. He's not necessarily tasked with winning a Six Nations, which every second coach does anyway yeah mm-hmm. and in terms of Eddie just maybe going back what how did it end for Eddie back when he in his first tenure and was it open arms him coming back or was there any of was any of the Australian public maybe a wee bit wary about bringing him back because obviously it's good when you're winning but the fact that he he departed there after his first spell you know, he had probably had to win a few fans back or was it very much like he had already won all the fans back from what he did at England, what he did at Japan, what he did in Australia uh, for South Africa in 07? Oh, I'll tell you what, anyone that that looks at Eddie Jones uh, and, and what he's done and achieved over the last 10 years with Japan, South Africa, England, recognise that, hey, the guy has managed to pull off some amazing results. It ended very badly in 2005. and yeah. And even the coach that replaced him at the national job, John Connolly, for years and and still does. We saw it most recently in his comments to the Telegraph to um, uh, Daniel Schofield, I think it was, where where he completely put the boot into Eddie and said it was a failed selector, and uh, you know the, the side was miserable, the backroom staff were miserable after Eddie left, and they had to pick up the whole team. You know, ultimately, John Connolly's side only made the quarterfinals in Marseille, got got knocked out against England. So uh, I think there was probably a little bit of bitterness around his comments. And he represents probably Queensland. And Eddie spent 
a season with Queensland in 2007, which was certainly not a successful period. Um, but he ushered through some of those quality names and some that are still playing, like Quade Cooper, um, Will Gennier in their first seasons of Super Rugby. So, yes, there was a there was a large portion of the rugby population that still is scarred by those memories from Queensland and probably the 2005 period with the Wallabies. But if you look beyond that and you go, hang on a moment, there's been some incredible hires over the last decade with some of those nations, the biggest World Cup upset in history with Japan knocking over South Africa and Brighton. You've got to go, hang on, this guy can coach. And it was interesting. I interviewed about eight or nine Wallabies that played under Eddie and every single one of them thought he was an outstanding coach. You know, the probably the one person that might have raised his eyebrows was, oh, I won't know the name, but a, but a, but a front rower, but every single other one did. And, and they all recognise that he's a guy that will demand standards and has a proven record. So I think on the whole, people were pretty optimistic about it. Yes, there's been a few people that have been lost over the last couple of weeks, given the zero and three start. Mm. That's interesting, really interesting. And Christy, kind of one final question, just in terms of, um, well, actually, you know, two questions, serious and then kind of not so serious. <laughs> um what is success at this World Cup for Australia? Um, like, yeah, what is what is success? Well, it was it was funny. John Kerwin on the Breakdown podcast yesterday on Sunday night said that he, he's concerned what the Wallabies will even make it out of the the pool stage. I, I think that would be complete failure. Uh, realistically, I think a semi final is, is is a success for the Wallabies, given what we've seen <laughs> over the last four or five years. I reckon. They're a strong chance to do that. And you actually never know. You know, a red card completely yeah. changes things or at HIA and it might be to a Johnny Sexton or whoever it is that plays a crucial part. So that's where you go, hang on, this World Cup is going to be extraordinary. Like the longer periods, the, the mandatory 12-day stand-downs, this World Cup is so, so open for a number of reasons, but including the HIA process. So, oh, look, I wouldn't rule anything out. But it will. It, it does just feel like it's written in the stars that the Wallabies are taking on England and Marseille. I, I just, you know, it just has that 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 feeling about it. <laughs> kind of reclaiming, yeah, old past defeats. And I suppose then, just one final question is: What's your thoughts on these adverts? The 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 croissants, as as Eddie Jones says, and um and, and different things what's your what's your thoughts on these kind of adverts are they really kind of taking the australian public with them or what's your thoughts and, uh, and even uh, some of his posts and about the new the new zealand economy will go down if they lose and stuff is those type of funny things only funny if they're winning or do the australian public just love all because like me and zach are loving them from the outside and yeah. we weren't the biggest fan when he was the england coach but now we're loving all the all the remarks <laughs> gestures yeah we ended up talking about new zealand things off the back of a question that i asked which was is it more meaningful coaching against the all blacks when you're the wallabies coach and he originally started off as a pretty kind of a reflective answer where he took a couple of seconds and it was like yeah and you almost saw a bit of a twinkle in his eye and then all of a sudden this just second and third wind started brewing up behind him and he he was off like a steam tray and, and, and wasn't going to stop where he continued to talk about the New Zealand economy, sinking and diving and 
the the, the PM having to cross his fingers. Oh, I think you're right. It's it's he said it because he he wants to give his players some confidence, take all the uh, the headlines away from them and put it on him. But but people will start to get fed up by it quickly if you're not winning because Australians, as I said earlier. Yeah, you just have to look at all the sports across the landscape here from the AFL to rugby league. If your team doesn't win in Australia, it's not like England where they always turn up. They they don't show up and you see it and you see the drop off pretty quickly and you'll see that same idea and the, the same uh, drop off in Australia if the Wallabies crash and burn. Uh, but, but we do know that with the World Cup, momentum can be found. So... Well, I mean, I wouldn't rule anything out. Some of the ads are hilarious. You can see at the moment, Eddie Jones and the Wallabies just released this one where he's rocking up at a at a at a random person's house and he's knocking oh, on yeah, the door one. and he's doing That's a bit funny. of a survey and, <laughs> and, and, and the father's yelling out from the from the uh, couch, going, "Tell him that they're no chance." And then you know, Eddie Jones, "Tick, we're no chance." You know, that's another one that we've got to try to win back. So I think he understands it, but he loves it. He loves a bit of banter, and he always has from his days with Jeff Sale down at Randwick. No, I think the moral of the story is it's still early days of Eddie, and he was just getting a look, and he's got his look. And yeah, as you say, he amazingly could go into the World Cup 0-5 and win the thing. You just can never predict this man. But no, big thanks, Christy, for coming on, and mm. we appreciate your time, and we'll, we'll let you get back to writing more about Eddie, I'm sure, today. And no, big thank you again. To anyone that's made this far in the podcast, follow, follow us on all our platforms. Spotify at Telfroy Podcast, Twitter at Rugby Tell, Instagram at Telfroy Podcast, even on TikTok nowadays, we're everywhere at Telfroy. So please, follow us everywhere, and we'll catch you next week.